Hello, and welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast, a show dedicated to helping seven-figure plus store owners build incredible businesses and amazing lives. I'm your host, Andrew Darian, and today on the show, really excited because got a good friend coming back who was one of the probably one of the most frequent co-hosts in the earlier days of the show. And since it's just been doing been doing so much awesome stuff, we haven't been able to uh, connect as much, which is totally understandable. That's Drew Sanaki over at nerdmarketing.com and was on nine months ago when he had a really crazy month and had been involved with either purchased or was involved with the purchase of three different companies within the course of about a month. And I wanted to circle back with him and catch up and see how things were going. One of his goals was to be able to put operators in place for these these businesses and be able to be more in an advisory role. And I wanted to see if that worked out. Because uh, as we talked about, sometimes it works out well, sometimes it doesn't. And I had noticed on LinkedIn, one of his his profile titles had shifted from executive chairman to CEO, more of an operative role. And so I was, I wanted to get the full story there. So anyway, we talked about that, how things have gone. Drew shares a lot about some of the skills he's had to up in terms of managing more people, the leadership skills he's developed and some of the resources he's, he's leaned on for that. And we just get into the, you know, kind of get to roll our arms up and talk operationally about what he's doing with his company. So it was a lot of fun. And it's actually kicking off a three-part series, roughly tying in e-commerce investing, diligence, and buying and selling stores. And Drew today, next week, uh, Bill D'Alessandro is joining me to talk about due diligence, both from the buying and the selling perspective. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up with a third episode, uh, going behind the scenes with a micro private equity company, Carta Partners, the owners of which uh, I met in Salt Lake City recently, and fascinating guys, the way they invest and work with e-commerce companies. So kind of, you know, a couple, two, three weeks of, of that. And I love geeking out on this stuff. If you do too, hopefully you'll enjoy it. Before we jump in, I want to give a big, big thank you to our sponsor who helps make the show possible. First to Liquid Web. If you're running WooCommerce and you're not on Liquid Web, you should shut your whole website down because having no website at all is better than having one that's not on Liquid Web. Actually, that's not true. That's probably a little hyperbolic. But you should you should check out Liquid Web because they've got a pretty phenomenal infrastructure for hosting your WooCommerce store. It's designed from the ground up to make WooCommerce faster, of which it's not always super speedy. Security enhanced, it helps you manage your, your upgrades for WooCommerce and also for WordPress core. It's got a testing sandbox. So you can stress test your store before big traffic comes or if you want to try something out. It's incredibly built for, for WooCommerce store owners. So if that's you, if that's going to be you in the future, you need to learn more about them. Check them out at ecommercefuel.com forward slash liquid web. And then secondly, a big thank you to the team over at Clavio. And I've said this Two weeks in a row, I'm going to say it one more time, only because I love this guy so much. Eric Banholtz was recently on their Ready, Set, Grow web series for Clavio. Clavio does a really nice job with the series anyway. You pair it with his gorgeous beard. Man, especially full screen. It, ugh, you got to watch it. Ecommercefuel.com forward slash beard. And you can kind of you know peek inside Eric's new offices uh, for Beard Brand in Austin and also see how he uses Clavio to run and grow his business. So if you don't know Clavio, they are hands down you know, industry-leading e-commerce automation software for, for store owners like us. And you can learn more about them and see why 15,000 merchants use them at clavio.com forward slash ECF. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash ECF. All right, let's go ahead and get into today's episode with Mr. Drew Snaki from nerdmarketing.com. Mr. Sanaki, welcome back to the show, sir. And we were we were kind of catching up just a little bit before we hit 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 record here. And you 
you're like a different person, you know, like more, I just, I sense the California laid backness. You, you just sound tanner. You sound, you know, older. like you're older, older, slower, more of a taco aficionado. You seem, California seems like it's treated you well since you, you escaped the big city. Yeah, it's been a good, I guess I've been out here for a year and I'm more relaxed, you know, it's just uh, doing some different things career wise. And it's, it's been good. It's been a good year. We're going to talk, get into maybe a little bit later on, talk about some of your, uh, your thoughts on, on New York versus San Diego. It's in the lightning round. It's, it's in the lightning round. Yeah. But I, I got to give you a hard time though. Again, I can't remember if I've done this yet, but if not, it's, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't bust your chops a little bit about the episodes, the episodes we've done about drop shipping, where we, where, where we, you know, said it's a dying breed. You've gone on, you've probably warned thousands of people against this model. And then you've, this is, yeah, you did, you did, running car- a drop shipper. Well, not just running it, but you did Karma Loop, where you were a part of that thing, drop shipper. And then your follow up back to that is another drop shipping company. So are you back? Like, are you, don't, don't are remind you, me. Are you a closeted <laughs> drop shipping advocate now? Like, what's, what, what, I think people are getting mixed messages. I think I've just developed a reputation that I can, sort of make drop shipping work, you know, and oh, there's Drew. He he knows drop shipping. So let's if we if we buy a dropship retailer that's really broken and getting killed by Amazon, let's see if Drew can, you know, turn it around. Cause, so because you're that good, right? I <laughs> just wish I ran, you know, a nice product company where I had my own product in a warehouse, you know, and I could go look at it. But we're getting there. I think this is, you know, we're going to get there with this business too. I still don't, I don't know. I think dropshipping is still a bad, a bad idea. <laughs> this is the man on on the fourth dropshipping company in 2019. Yeah. I just can't get away from it, man. It's like when this deal came through, I, the first thing I said was like, oh, a dropshipper. I mean, this is a company that dropships automotive aftermarket accessories. And I'm like, I don't want to run another dropshipper. Getting killed by Amazon, vendors going direct. Here I am, a year later, running Dropship Retailer. Here you are. So there is, we did an episode oh, probably about nine months ago. I'll link up to it in the show notes. If you want to get a real deep sense of auto anything, the company that uh, Drew is now the CEO of and has, has kind of taken over uh, as well as gosimple.com and Postpilot, you can go ahead and link up or listen to that episode first. We're going to kind of jump in a little bit, kind of uh, in, you know, not, not spend a crazy amount of time on the backstory because we've covered that. But I, Drew, what I'm excited to talk to you about is you, when we talked last you said, you know, I'm excited to to make some equity investments. I'm excited to partner up with some people and be, I, I think there was a segment when I was reviewing the last transcript, you were like, you know, getting, getting mid forties, you know, fifties, not a crazy way off. I don't want to be hustling quite as hard in my fifties. Like, you know, just I, I trying to to prepare for that. And with the three companies, Auto Everything, Go Simple and Postpilot, you had partners on all those. And if I'm Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think part of your vision for that was to be in an advisory role, an investing role, to help out operationally here and there, but not be kind of like the main man piloting it. And so I want to talk about like, how did that work out? Maybe we can take all three of those one at a time. I Maybe a little bit of a, a giveaway here. I noticed that you started as the chairman of the board at Auto Anything. It wasn't too many months until you were LinkedIn executive chairman of the board? No, it was just ex- executive chairman. Executive chairman. Chairman of the board is like... Uh... You got to be like a big fat guy in like a three-piece suit with a cigar. That's chairman of the board. Executive chairman is more... You, um, you realize we're going to forward this to whoever that is to auto <laughs> anything, right? It's a little... <laughs> yeah. The executive chairman is more like you represent the investors on the board. You get involved operationally, although the CEO kind of runs the day-to-day. And ultimately, you backstop the company. So if the, if the CEO doesn't work out, you step in. 
as CEO. And that's what happened here. Interesting. So tell us about that. Like how, what, what happened where you had to end up taking on the CEO role as opposed to the executive chairman role? It, you know, I think it just became clear to me and in, in the board that we wanted to go in a different direction. That was probably two or three months in. I started a brief CEO search and then ultimately figured out that I knew the company better than a lot of the candidates I was seeing. And so I, I just said, you know, I, I'm up for this. I had to do some soul searching and think about kind of what I wanted to do and how involved I wanted to be. And it obviously would have meant that we, we'd stay in San Diego, which, you know, so I had to run it by my wife and we all had to be on board. But I was up. I was up for it. And I haven't looked back. That was a year ago. You, you say it so casually, like I had to run it by my wife, like at dinner, I just kind of casually threw out there, oh, by the way, do you mind if we stay in San Diego another year and I take on the CEO role? Is that a problem? As you're, as you're taking the dishes to the sink. <laughs> you know, and it, it was fun. It was like, it was fun to be involved operationally with a company again and learning, learning a different set of things than I learned at my own dropship retailer, you know, my own smaller business. And, you know, that was the conversation with Sarah was, hey, like I'm having a lot of fun. I'm learning. I think there's upside here. You know, we kind of, we're having a good time in San Diego. Maybe we're not ready to go back to the Northeast and there's still things we'd like to see here and do here. What if we re-upped for another year and and I took on this CEO position and, and she was on board. That's cool. So what, you know, what have you been doing? Like when you, when you bought the company and maybe we have to go crazy deep at a high level, what was the investment thesis for buying the company? And along those lines, like what are the big problems that you knew coming into this? Cause you know, you knew there were some issues and, and what have, what's been your focus, like as the CEO being involved for the last year, what have you guys really been focused on trying to do to, to turn this, uh, this dropshipper, you know, to improve it? All good questions. Kingswood, the private equity fund that, that put this deal together, it's a value fund. So they look for they, they try to get things on the cheap. And in this case, I think they were in the right place, right time. AutoZone wanted to, didn't know what to do with this property that they had purchased seven years ago. Kind of wanted it off the books. Kingswood was there to acquire it at a good price. And so we saw a lot of upside. You know, I helped them think through that. Yes, it's a dropshipper. Yes, the future prognosis for dropshipping, you know, is not good in a world where number one, all the vendors tend to go more and more direct over time. And number two, Amazon is kind of increasing the customer expectation and it's tough to compete with that. But what we saw in this business was, was an audience, right? Like it's, it's big, you know, so it does like nine figures in revenue, right? And there are 5 million people on the email list. Like it's just a big asset. And so we, we thought, you know, Hey, if we can, if we can just dial, you know, if we can change the trajectory of the business, the business was in a, a little bit of a decline when we bought it. You know, there's a lot of things we can do with this audience. I mean, we can, at the very least, run the business for cash flow for a while, but we think there's some growth opportunities there there also when you buy a customer customer asset like we have. It's funny about dropship. I know I was busting your chops about it earlier. I had, you know, interviewed someone this last week who's who's really moved their whole business from the warehouse model to a dropship model to be leaner. Uh, you know, I've, 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 I still think it's, there's a lot of headwinds there, but I think if there's definitely some, some unique situations where it can work and when it does work, it's a really, it can be a compelling model. So for you guys looking at the automotive space, like what, when you think about how you guys are able to make it work now, maybe we can, we'll get to the growth opportunities in a minute, but like, why do people purchase from you versus, you know, Amazon, for example, like, is it, is it just, they go to the site, 
you've got you're focused on it enough where people can can enter their make and model and and they get exactly what they need and it's are you competing on just what's your value add given that you guys resell existing products is it uh, the comfort that people know it's going to fit and amazon doesn't have the selection or, or how are you guys trying to compete against amazon yeah i think there's like a I mean, t- there's what it is today and what it will be in a year. And I think today it's kind of a, it's a weaker competitive advantage. You know, there there aren't a whole lot of reasons why people come here instead of Amazon. I mean, part of it is selection. I think we've got more in the category than Amazon does. There's a data model reason. In other words, automotive products are very complicated, right? You need a a year make model for almost every floor mat. And then the floor mat comes in a zillion colors and finishes, right? So there's a catalog challenge that Amazon wasn't set up to address and we are, but I mean, that's not going to last forever. And then I would say like the last sort of weak differentiator is, is just, uh, you know, we've got this sales team, about a third of the business comes through the, the phones and we've got a sales team here in San Diego of just, People, you know, professional automotive people who who know cars, who know trucks, who can tell you how to put a suspension on your car and what parts you'll need or, you know, how to fit seat covers. There's a lot of like these are complicated products that we found people do require some handholding in order to, to purchase. So are those like are those solid competitive advantages? Like, is that a solid moat? And I would I would say no. I think we're trying to you know, we ask ourselves this question all the time, like how, where can we go from here? How can we, how can we enhance those competitive advantages and how can we build more of a moat going forward? And so that's kind of what we're talking about now and what we're working on. And and so what does that moat look like? Like the things you guys are working on, is it, is it, you know, looking at your bringing more products in-house proprietarily for your top, you know, 10 or 20% bestsellers? Is it uh, exploring other channels? Like what, what kind of stuff are, are you working on behind the scenes right now? I think it's, you know, there's no home run there. There's just a lot of little things we can do. Operationally, I think it is, you know, owning more of our supply chain and fulfillment. So maybe getting away from dropshipping a bit, but we're looking at making some acquisitions in the category that will give us, number one, much better margins than the typical dropship product, probably triple the margin. And number two, we will you know, own the supply chain. If we buy some essentially direct to consumer brands within our category, we're going to have, and we're going to have warehouses. We're going to know where the product is at any time. Like all those things that are tough to manage when you do drop ship a product, we're going to be able to provide better customer support there, market the products because we've got better margins. So I think going vertical is a big part of what we'd like to do going forward. Yeah. What about what about your people managing people in your leadership game? Because you've done a lot of stuff. I mean, you led, you were you know officer in the Navy. You've led a lot of teams in the past. But correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing this is probably one of the larger teams, if not the largest, you've led. And CEO, that's a, a fairly big role. So, how like have you? How has that gone? And has there been anything that you've used or or kind of leaned on to help up your leadership game or management game in terms of books or trainings or maybe even just things you've learned over the last last six to nine months that you're that really have stood out to you as effective or mistakes you've made? Like, what have you learned about leadership or where have you invested in leadership the last last year? I think this has been the biggest learning, and and for me personally, it's like I didn't come here, and I I guess I kind of figured I would be running marketing with one hand, you know, and just kind of thinking through how to grow the business that way. But really like my job is as the CEO is, is, is leadership. It's making sure we've got the right culture, the right people in each position, trying to assess whether we've got the talent internally that I need to promote 
or do I need to recruit from outside the company? You know, and what do I need? What are my top needs? How to set a culture? You know, I, I would, that's like, that's 90% of what I do. It's not analytics. You know, it's not getting into Clavio and sending an email campaign. It's all leadership. And that's been different from anything, anything I've bootstrapped in the past, because when you're bootstrapping, as you know, you know, you're doing, you're doing the implementation, you're doing the execution yourself, or, you know, you might have like hourly employees reporting to you, but you got to train them up and, and do some of the execution. But that's the biggest difference for a company like this. You know, we've got 100, 110, 120 people. We have enough scale to hire good middle management. And so my job is much more around like, do we have the right directors? Do we have the right VPs at the company? And are they operating the company as best as we can? Like, how do we build an agile organization that can respond to what's going out on in the marketplace? You know, two books that, that have been invaluable for me that I kind of stumbled upon early on. One is called Powerful by Patty McCord. She's the, uh, she was in charge of culture at, H, at, sorry, at Netflix. Um, if you Google the Netflix culture deck, there's a lot about the culture that they created there around just building a team of high performers. You know, the idea is like people are the most motivated, not by random Amazon gift cards or like little uh, tchotchkes that you give them in the office, but around solving really complicated problems alongside other high performers. And so the more you can do as a leader at, at getting barriers out of the way of that process, like getting barriers out of the way of your people solving hard problems, like that's the best thing you can do. So that's powerful. And then the other one is called uh, Measure What Matters by John Doerr. And so in that book, he he lays out what he calls OKRs, objectives and key results. And these are ways to align everybody at your company around a common goal each quarter. I found that one to be huge for this company. This is a company that never did sort of goal setting, never really communicated around what we're working on. And just in this day and age with the way our, our as fast as our competitors are cranking, we've got to have that kind of alignment. You know, there's there, there aren't enough hours in the day or the week to get everything done. The only way we get everything done is by focusing. And, and the only way we can focus on a few things is through uh, this OKR process. So that's the other book that has been really helpful. How did you, on the culture side, maybe dig a little deeper there, how did you approach that and what changes did you make? Because you're kind of in a tricky spot, right? Like the company gets bought. You've got a lot of people there. I'm sure you said there's been some changes, but by and large, I'm, I'm guessing the team is, you know, it was, there's a lot of, you know, almost all of them were probably the same from pre-purchase to post. And then, you know, this George Clooney uh, lookalike drops in from New York City to, to help out with things, right? <laughs> Who's that? Right. You know, so you've got to be and then, and then you come in. I'm talking about your brother, of course, who visited, and then and then you showed up. But you've got to you kind of got to balance like respect for not wanting to come in and totally shake things up, but also I'm sure you see things that need to be changed, and you got you got to walk a tightrope there of respecting the existing culture while also making changes that need to be made. So what? What did you implement? Like when you talk about culture, did you sit down and like draft core values and announce them to everyone after a while? Did you change just a couple? Like how did you go about trying to set a culture in a way that kind of balanced both of those those two things? Yeah, there's like an art and science to leadership. And I think you're getting at the art of it. And it has to do with a your own leadership style. And, and more than that, like which leadership style do you want to employ in any situation? When I came into the company, I think the company was executing at a, call it a two out of 10. You know, it was very nine to five. Like people just were checked out. 
there was a lot of like, oh, we tried that or, you know, I had this idea, but no one ever, you know, I got my hand slapped the last time I tried to do it. I think it was a bunch of butts and seats and people were just kind of blindly doing what they were told and uh, really had been beaten down by previous leaders, you know, because they weren't uh, empowered to make decisions and change the company. So, you know, you can play that one of two ways. You can either come in as kind of the the know-it-all or the, you know, my way or the highway kind of leader. I did not go in that direction. I came in as more of like the consensus building. I want to listen to everybody, empower people to make more decisions. And I played it that way. I think it was the right way to do it because the company had like retention problems. I think if I came in sort of heavy handed and, and tried to be a little bit more of the dictatorial leader, I would have just lost my best people. So it was more about a lot of one-on-one sitting down with people, listening, just uh, what people wanted to do with the business, what the ideas were, and then stepping back and making some changes that really demonstrated to everybody that I've been listening. Like if they wanted to reorganize the way they worked, you know, I would took that input and then that's ultimately what we did. And I think that that built up a lot of trust between the team and, and myself. Yeah. Can you talk if you, if you're, if you're able to share, like you talked about reorganizing the way you work and you don't have to go crazy deep, but just kind of bullet points, like what were some of those things that you heard from your, from the team that you actually implemented in addition to giving freedom for more autonomy, decision-making and, and kind of working how they wanted to anything else that you can kind of list off just so people know what kind of stuff you're talking about specifically? Yeah. Well, I think the big thing was probably moving towards these OKRs where we, where we were going to set our company goal, our department goals every quarter and then involving people in the OKR development process. OKRs, if executed properly, it's rarely just all top down. And what's, right? what's so OKR lot, stand for? Sorry to interrupt. Objectives and key results. Okay, thank you. So a lot of them should come from the teams. Like, hey, what should we focus on this quarter? So putting it on the team to do that, right? Things like being able to work from home was like a small cultural change, but just just this general principle of like, we want to treat people like adults, right? They don't have to be in the office. If, if you want to work from home, you can work from home. We got we to gotta run a company that way. One thing we're looking at now is doing away with vacation days because the company just got hung up on these bureaucratic things around like, we got to track our vacation days and it just became a much bigger thing tracking the vacation days than it was worth. So like, do we just get, get rid of vacation days, right? Promoting certain people who display like the entrepreneurial qualities that you want to have at the company. That was another big part of what we've been working on. And so when you say get rid of vacation days, I'm guessing what you mean is not let people take vacation, but get track, get rid of the tracking and just say, when you need vacation, Correct. take Sorry. it. Yeah. Yes. We're, yeah. Yes. Not, uh, not get rid of the track. No vacation for you. None of that. No, no. <laughs> it's like, how do you break down? This is a, this was a hundred million dollar company asking, acting like a $8 billion company because it was owned by one AutoZone, Right. So, that's the challenge, right? Like there's, there's a lot that's been written about agile organizations and agile organizations means you need these small quasi autonomous teams that are on the front lines that can react and sort of determine their own priorities, you know, and, and essentially manage the business. Like it's a fallacy that certain challenges should come all the way up to me where I kind of go off in my office and come up with a strategy that's going to work. You know, it's it, the people know better than I do. So I think it's about building that agile organization because that's the only way we can kind of pivot a business that that's, that is this big. 
Yeah. I think maybe the biggest thing that I saw when looking at your site was I was poking around and I mean, the new about us picture you have, I mean, that's probably boosted conversion by 100, 200%, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's phenomenal. <laughs> you guys are all out like with this car, like hanging from a crane in the background and you're all waving, looking happy and Drew's off in the corner smiling and uh, it's a, it's a, yeah, good shot there. That was. I'm guessing that was. Yeah, you. yeah. That conversions did go up. Well, yeah, by, like the, by the way, we'll post we'll, to- we'll post that in the show notes here if you want to see a picture. <laughs> Drew. I think the business, you know, stepping back a sec, you've got a Karma Loop. You know, there were there were a lot of businesses I've been involved in, even even though even my first Design Public that kind of grew from 2000 to 2010, purely because they were putting something online, like. You couldn't get the stuff online before. Now some somebody put it online and, you know, you had SEO at your back. And these companies got up to a certain level just off of that, you know. But I think those days are over, right? At least for Karma Loop, they're over. For Auto Anything, they're over. So it's like, okay, well, what comes next? You know, you can't we can't expect just to, to put these products online and continue growing. You know, we've got to we've got to add more value there because it's becoming easier and easier for competitors to do that. Right. And the vendors themselves put the products online. So, you know, the website's something that I think has frustrated us a lot. It's like this legacy stack, just like it was at Karma Loop. Hard to change, hard to, you know, have some differentiation around. You know, we're getting there. And I think the next one's going to be a lot better. What's more fun running it on the operational level and being able to pull all the levers and be more involved on the analytics and the email marketing side, that kind of stuff? Because I know you, you enjoy that. That's kind of your comfortable isn't the right word, more so experience. And that's, you know, that's, that's kind of been one of your niches in the past or the leadership, uh, the different role. Like, is there one of the two that, that you enjoy more? Are you missing the analytics side or are you really kind of enjoying kind of the new, new role and, and changing things up? I'm enjoying this right now. This suits me for where I am in life. You know, it's it's like... All I got to, I got to worry about, I mean, it's a big thing to worry about, but do I have the right CMO running marketing? You know, cause I know that guy and I do have the right guy. Like I know that guy can figure out all those things. You know, he, he's going to be better than I am at email. Like, you know, he's going to be better than I am at paid and our paid person and our SEO person. I expect them to be tactically like the best in the business. Right. And it, it takes the pressure off me, for, you know, when I was bootstrapping my own company and, and like probably many people listening to this podcast, like you're going to conferences, you're trying to write everything down, you're afraid, you get kind of in tactical maneuver hell, right? You're afraid you missed the latest and greatest thing that Ezra's doing, you know? And it's like, how am I going to, how am I going to work that into my funnel? Like, I don't feel that pressure anymore because I just know I've got a team that is, that is on it. Right. And so I, I can focus much more on, just the big picture. Are we making, are, are we focusing on the right things as a business? You know, what are we going to do to compete with Amazon? What are we going to do to compete with our vendors? Do we have the right talent here? You know, how can I retain this talent? How can I reward the people who think the way I want them to think? So, um, I I'm enjoying it now. Good. Is it, is it harder? I think a lot of people, if I'm honest, myself included, would say, you know, that jumping up to a role like that, it's more responsibility. It's going to be scarier. Obviously it's, it's where you grow too, but do you feel like Either you or most people overestimate not the difficulty, but maybe the the stress and the strain, and and maybe maybe the difficulty in some some regards too. Where a position like that, it's it's different, but it's also 
much more intimidating. Have you found like maybe the intimidation factor, you still have to work hard, you still got to, you know, really focus on important things. And you do have more responsibility, more risk potentially if you screw it up. But day to day, do you feel like maybe a position like that gets blown, uh, gets overinflated in terms of how much it uh, would just really wear you down as opposed to is it I guess what I'm asking is it? Is it more of a different role as opposed to more of a extremely harder role? What are your thoughts on that? It's just different. It's not, I mean, it's hard. I, I think the extent to which you feel stress and react to stress is probably much more dependent on the individual. You know, I know people who could be, who are stressed out as heck, all heck, just who are in our customer service department, you know, versus like a VP who has a, has a great work-life balance and, you know, doesn't, doesn't show the stress or doesn't, you know, doesn't sweat as much. And I think it just has a lot more to do with you as an individual and how you react to it. It's a, it's a different game. I feel like it's a little bit more chess instead of checkers when you're running the company, you know, in terms of like, you got to think strategically, like day to day, you got to manage a board, you got to manage investors versus, you know, cracking open analytics and just going deep there you know, it's just a different set of tasks and it's more in how you react to it. You know, I've had to cultivate, call it like a spiritual life or whatever, but just sort of just these these daily practices that help me cope with the stress and the pressure of running a business like this, because you got it, you have to, you know, there's a lot of stress around people. There's a lot of stress around, like if you have to lay somebody off, like those things are tough things to deal with, but you can't let them you can't not do them because they're tough. You know, it's it's on you. You've got responsibility to do to make the changes that nobody else can at the business. So for me personally, it has a lot to do with just making sure I budget time to take care of myself, you know, meditate every morning, leave every afternoon at, at the at a time where I can see my kids. You know, just things like that that keep me sort of able to to be in this for the for the marathon and not the sprint. Yeah. I want to kind of shift gears a little bit, talk about PostPilot, which is a SaaS app you bought almost, I mean, I think the same, you went and bought, either bought or took on roles in these three companies all within a month or so, I think. And getting back to that theme of you wanting to have either a partner or someone running it and you could kind of help advise, how did that PostPilot is direct mail marketing for Shopify stores. And so it plugs into your Shopify store and it helps with you market to people kind of like, you know, cart abandonment uh, with, you know, in direct mail through the post office, uh, among other things. And we can talk about some of the functionality in a minute here. But before that, like, how did that pan out from you from the original vision to where you are now, especially in terms of like how involved you have to be having a partner, if, if that all worked out in terms of the responsibility split, uh, where are you at right now? Yeah, I think a lot of this came, remember when I traveled for like a year, I went through the Caribbean, I went to Europe, and I, it was like two years ago, three mm -hmm. years ago. Spent spent much time sleeping in your van, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you did sort of a walkabout <laughs> too around the same time, and I, I just came back saying, you know, like I need to own some companies, I assessed my own energy, where I am, my, my family requirements, and said, you know, I can't bootstrap, I can't do like seven days a week, you know, 20 hour days anymore, so... People like Robert Smith, who runs Vista Capital, and Carson Bitterman, who runs Digital Fuel Capital. There's another guy, Jonathan Siegel, who wrote a great book called The San Francisco Fallacy. And these are kind of operator investors. They're hybrids, right? Warren Buffett's got this saying that I'm a better investor because I'm an operator and a better operator because I'm an, an investor. And I was like, that's a nice, it's a nice balance and it's a nice place for me to play right now where I can get a little bit of the operating and also spread my risk or spread my, 
you know, my, my assets across a couple different portfolio companies. It does only work, I think, if you've got somebody who's running the company who you trust, right? So I, I, I went down that road and I've, I mean, I've gotten slightly derailed because I've had to go all in on auto anything, but I think long-term, I still want to have like that portfolio of, of companies around e-commerce, both brands and software companies. Yeah. And you mentioned, sorry to ask you to repeat, you cut out there just for a minute. Who are those three either, you know, funds or people that you mentioned? You mentioned Digital Fuel Capital, uh, Jonathan Smith, I believe. And who was the other person? Yeah. Ro- Robert Smith, who's like the uh, the richest African-American right now, he started Vista Capital probably 10 years ago. He, he's got this thing called the Vista Playbook, which is how you grow a SaaS company. And so Vista has just taken down software company after software company, grown them and sold them. Went from, you know, nothing to who he is today in like five years, 10 years, but operates a bunch of software companies, invests and operates them. Carson at Digital Fuel Capital buys e-commerce brands, has an operating team. So again, that hybrid investor slash operator. Jonathan Siegel does the same thing, but with much smaller software companies. So he he does it himself, travels the world with eight kids and two nannies and buys, you know, companies for like 50K, 100K. Like he's buying much smaller companies, but he's been very successful at that. Interesting. And so, so for the partner, because you came into Postpilot with a partner, right? Was it a, was it someone that, did you buy the whole company and then you you hired someone to, to kind of run it for you? Or do you have an equity, like a split share of the equity and they kind of, they manage more of the day-to-day or developer? How do you set the, how do you have that set up? And do you have someone who's, who's kind of running point on that, especially with all your responsibilities on auto everything? Auto anything. Excuse anything. me. I'm sorry. Everybody, auto anything. It's the worst name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Postpilot's probably the one that comes the closest to what the ideal, right? So I found it with a with a partner of mine. We went in and uh, bought seventy five percent of it off the developer. The developer wanted to be involved, and we liked him and started running it ourselves. And then uh, it got enough scale up to the point where we knew it could support a full time employee. And so the developer, who's proven to be just a great kind of growth hacker, developer, marketer type. We put him in, you know, he's now the, the CEO of it and uh, we pay him a, a salary and he's a 25% owner of the company. So that's, that's ideal because we've got now it's off to the races. You know, that is much more talk to him every, every week or so, uh, get a Trello board, a backlog of all of the things we think will grow the company. Strategically, we can, we can do a couple things ourselves, but day to day being run by Matt, his name's Matt. So I, I could do those kind of deals all day long where we find somebody, you know, a Matt who's running a company and we acquire a majority share in them. And in fact, we're looking at a couple others right now. But that that's the dream because I think that one worked out really well. Go Simple, I bought for, I would say, less, the, less than the cost of the inventory. It was a product without marketing. And if you check it out, gosimple.com, it's got a great brand, great packaging. Like the guy thought through a lot. The issue is that, you know, he did, he hadn't found product market, market fit, you know, and as you know, that takes time. A lot of experimentation around marketing copy and messaging. Uh, I think he just kind of went off to the races and built, this, built the, the product out right before he had product market fit. The issue with that one is that now it's on me to find product market fit and I haven't had the time to invest to do that. 
And, go, and, and GoSimple.com, that's a, the nutritional tr- nutritional supplement, right? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's not as differentiated as I probably want it to be. So anybody here is, it wants to run GoSimple, let me know. Because, I mean, that that's clear. That's where we screwed up. That's where we didn't have the operator in mind. And unlike, you know, PostPilot had customers, it had traction. It was more about kind of amplifying what he was doing. GoSimple did not have those things. And so it's still kind of sitting there without a without somebody to give it some love. Yeah. I mean, finding someone like Matt, so it sounds like he was he was a developer, the founder, knew the code base. You were able to come in and, and invest it, you know, buy most of the company, but keep some skin in the game for him. That, that does sound ideal. And also the combination of having somebody who's both a good developer and is reasonably well or great at marketing is a pretty rare combo for one person to have. Yeah, it is. Dominic Ong, who runs uh, Turn River Capital in the Bay Area. This is another interesting kind of operating private equity hybrid, you know, he buys SaaS companies, all software companies. And he typically buys one and then finds like the developer growth hacker hybrid, usually off of growthhackers.com because they've got a job board, gives them, you know, 10% of the company, 10, 15% of the company, pays them 150K a year. And then he's been very successful with that model. You know, it's not for everybody, but I think if you're at the right point in your career, that's an attract and, and you want to be a part of like this guy who's it's a proven fund that has exits often, you know, it's a nice model for you. So that's kind of what we ended up doing, you know, with, with Matt at Postpilot. So can you talk a little bit about Postpilot? Like how I, I alluded to it's direct marketing for Shopify, but can you talk a little bit more about what it does for people, the functionality, what people can target and maybe what even you guys are thinking about doing, how you're going to potentially use it for auto anything. Postcards are something that I have used for, for, 20 years in e-commerce and I use them because they work, right? And it's a it's a channel that not a lot of people, it wasn't that user-friendly, you know, you'd have to like upload lists of names and addresses to these old school postcard marketing companies, you know, to send the postcards. But at the end of the day, they tended to work and you could do a couple things, you know, you could send like a bl- essentially a blast email postcard to your entire list, or you could do more targeted lifecycle stuff like, Hey, welcome new subscribers or, you know, cross selling or abandoned carts. Right. But the challenge was they were always, it was hard to use. It wasn't easy. And so what Postpilot offers is an easy way to do that. It's, you know, if you think if you've used Klaviyo or MailChimp, it's like that, but for postcards where you plug it into your Shopify and then you can send all sorts of triggered based postcards, you just automate them. The advantage is it's, you know, even on a good day, like what, 20 or 30% of people on your email list open the email. So, you know, there are people on your list who won't open your email. There are people who are not on your email list. There are people who aren't on Facebook who, you know, you want to market to. So it just gives you another channel to kind of touch those people, one that has a lot of awareness. At this point, it's actually getting cheaper relative to, to Facebook or at least the average Facebook ad. So, that's what Postpilot does. You know, I think of it as like Clavio, but for for postcards. And yeah, we're using it auto anything. There are, I would say, a couple hundred people who are using it right now at different e-commerce businesses. Very cool. And can you actually send stuff in where you can you can automatically set up attribution? Maybe you can just do it with basic UTM parameters based on what kind of or coupon codes. But is there a way? How do you think about helping helping people or merchants rather be able to attribute? whether it's general marketing or whether it's maybe a card abandonment or however, whatever the flow is, is coming out of that. Uh, so they can attribute it to their, in their analytics to say like, oh, wow, like PostPod's working really well because you potentially could, could work really well, but 
people couldn't see it if it's if they're just you know and i'm sure i'm sure there's some of that too where they just come back and visit without doing anything that's impossible if you lose that but but you can probably track some of it right right that's always the challenge with how do you track them and so uh, you know one best practice is to put a unique coupon code in the postcard which which you can do through postpilot and then uh, you track redemptions and we can measure an roi off that so there's like a a dashboard in, in postpilot that'll help you measure that obviously it doesn't flow through to google analytics unless you're tracking coupon codes in Google Analytics. Another thing we've seen people do is a unique URL, you know? So uh, I see that myself whenever I get a postcard in the mail, it's always like casper.com slash, you know, San Diego or something. Uh, and you just measure the traffic that goes through there or tag it in Google Analytics. And then the last thing is is just Lyft. I mean, we see a lot of people measuring success off of Lyft versus a control group, you know, you split your list in half, half gets the postcard, half doesn't. Just compare the the revenue off of both, you know, the A and the B. But true attribution off a of postcard, I think the best thing you can do is is track those coupon redemptions. Yeah. And direct mail is so good. There was something that the FE International, their brokers, did really well that I they have a I picked up a magazine that came in the mail and it, it was like SAS monthly or or the I can't remember exactly what the name was, but it was a SAS focused magazine. And at first I didn't even know they were behind it, but I was like, this is kind of cool. I mean, how often do you see something so niche show up? And I was eating dinner. And so I just started flipping through it. And really, I mean, I probably spent, you know, 15, 20 minutes with it, uh, if not longer. And halfway through, I'm like, oh, it's the guys over at, at FE that put this together. And yeah. There's a lot of data that shows how I, you know, I was surprised because it seems so old school, but people, you know, maybe it's just something tangible, like it resonates with people. People throw the cards on like, their table. And then, you know, you look at them over time and, you know, I think they're, that's why they're effective. It's just, just, uh, it's, it's like a tangible thing that it's another way, another touch point with the customer where you can put your brand in front of them. And I think that's why it works. Yeah. And, and also not that mailboxes, I think, I mean, if you had to guess probably 80% plus of mail you get is still junk mail, but, but think about the competition in your inbox, even with that, you know, five, you know, four to one, five to one noise, signal noise ratio versus, your, your email inbox, which is like, what, 40 to 1, 50 to 1, you know? It's, yeah. just, it's just insane. Yeah, I mean, that, yes. There's all sorts of data around how crowded the inbox is getting and, and the news feed. Your postal mailbox is not. At the end of the day, the price is capped, right? Because it's you're just sending a – you're putting a postage stamp on each thing. It's not dynamic like a Facebook ad, right? So low price, less competition, more awareness, and there's just – you know, that's why direct mail works for a lot of retailers. Very cool. Check it out if you're listening and you're on Shopify and you're uh, interested in checking it out, postpilot.com. And then you've also got some training and some webinars if you kind of want to see uh, behind the curtain, learn a little bit more about it at postpilot.com forward slash webinars. And maybe we'll, uh, we'll shoot that out to the list in the future. It's a cool, it's a cool app, Drew. Uh, yeah, congrats on, on buying it and excited to see how it goes. Yeah, and it's, it, it's now beyond Shopify. So you can, we've got an API. Oh, it is, cool. With, yep, yep. Shopify's. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer to me. If I had a Shopify store, I'd use it. Magento, big commerce, you know, I think we're we're going in that direction where more and more of those will work with it. Well, getting a little close on time here, but if you're up for it, you know the drill at the end. Do a lightning round. I think it's been long enough since since we've done it that these are hopefully mostly new questions. You up for, uh, for going through it? Awesome. I'm up. All right, first thing, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? I think that I have control over my life and my team. And I, another way to say that is that I have to do it all myself, which I don't. Nice. What's the biggest thing you love most about living in San Diego versus New York City? Space. And the thing you hate the most about living in San Diego versus New York City? Uh, lack of 
energy, lack of culture and energy. Do you think Amazon should be broken up by the government? The capitalist in me says no. You know, they, they built it. They own it. Now that I compete with them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cry. <laughs> <laughs> if, yeah, they broke up, you know, the marketplace group from the private label group or whatever, but probably no. Yeah, it's tough because like it's, it's, I mean, I think most, most people are able to do this, but you do have the conflicting forces of like what you think is right from a purely intellectual level versus like what you would maybe not lose sleep over if it happened from a business and competitive standpoint. Sure. Right? Yeah, <laughs> sure. but they're very different. But yeah, I agree. I, I, maybe I can break that question into, into two parts in the future. What's your favorite physical object that you own? My iPhone. That, that watch that your, your dad gave you, it doesn't, doesn't mean too much? iPhone's more important? <laughs> no, the iPhone. Okay. Love, I look at pictures of my dad. Love you, dad. Love you, dad. What's the maximum number of days you feel comfortable wearing a pair of jeans without washing them? It's over 365. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I literally wear my, yeah, all the time. I, I, I'm just always wearing these jeans. I guess if I spill something on them, I'll wash them. But otherwise, yeah, it's interesting. I could go yeah. going down this rabbit hole and hearing the, the the different things. Do you use and like there's a whole subculture about jeans and, and length. So do you do? I'm learning about like the freezer tactic where people like put their jeans in the freezer to kill the bacteria without actually like having to subject it to washing, which could fade good denim, all this kind of stuff. Like, are you one of those guys? Or are you just you know 365? No worries. I'm one of those like dads who doesn't have enough time to wash the jeans <laughs> well i actually I, I don't like how they fit after i wash them so i i haven't tried the freezer thing but i probably should because it, i must have bacteria all up and down my legs right now oh and then finally what's one of the top three items on your bucket list something you'd really like to do before you die meet my grandkids nice want to have grandkids yeah Awesome. Well, Drew, always so fun talking to you. Congrats on a, a really exciting year for you. You've got uh, some cool stuff going on. And yeah, man, always enjoy talking. Thanks for coming on and uh, let me give you a hard time and just catching up on, on life and business. Uh, it's always, yeah, it's, always learn a lot. I, so. I love being here and I love the forums. I found, you know, since I've taken this operating role, I'm in the forums a lot more now. And man, every question's answered in there. Yeah, you, uh, you were joking. I was joking with just you go, earlier. Just go, just go to the forms. Well, thank you. I was joking with you earlier. Your account wasn't working after the migration. We just upgraded our, our, our tech. But you're back in now. It's uh, Back in. You're, you're yeah, good to go. I'm in there. Cool. I'm good. We'll start tagging you. I'm going to start tagging you on all sorts of stuff then. And uh, have our, our Patrick, our community manager, do that as well. So You need like a B2B play where I could buy licenses for my executive team or something. Because it's, it's like everything they are struggling with from how do you outsource customer support to, you know, one fulfillment platform versus another, like the answers are in there and people have talked about them. Yeah. It's a good, that's something actually I've thought a little bit about. It's always tricky trying to balance externals versus professionals versus, you know, vendors that are there to add yeah, value, but that. that's, that's a really good idea. I need to, I may ask you about that a little bit more and get your thoughts on it. Cause it's, that could work well if it was curated well. Drew, thanks so much, man. Hopefully we can do this uh, again in the near future. Yeah. Best of luck with the three businesses going forward, man. Thanks, Andrew. Like, hopefully I have some good updates for you over the next year. That's going to do it for this week, but a few important things to know about, especially if you're a store owner before you go. First, if you're looking to hire for your e-commerce business, make sure to check out the e-commerce fuel job boards. We'll get your job in front of thousands of qualified job seekers to find you the perfect candidate. And if you're looking for work, you should check out the dozens of hand-picked opportunities along with lots of other roles that pop up every week at ecommercefuel.com forward slash jobs. 
And if you're an established store owner, you absolutely should be a member of our private community for seven-figure-plus store owners. You get access to a discussion forum with over a thousand vetted, experienced e-commerce entrepreneurs, invitations to our in-person member-only events, and access to our private review directory with over 5,000 software and service provider reviews. That sounds interesting. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com forward slash form. That's F-O-R-U-M. And a big, big thank you to the two sponsors who make this show possible. First, to Clavio, who makes email marketing automation incredibly easy and powerful. If you're not using them for your store, you're leaving money on the table. You can get started for free at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Clavio. And then secondly, to Liquid Web, the absolute best place to host your WooCommerce store anywhere online. If you want a rock solid store that can scale with you when you need it to, check them out at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Liquid Web. Thanks so much for listening and looking forward to seeing you again next Friday. This is the ASY Radio Network Live from New York.